So Russ, thank you, man. That was wonderful. Appreciate you bringing the group. Good job, everybody. Way to go. Thanks for coming. I, I had one thought. I'm not sure that your pianist would have done well in Salem, Massachusetts all those years ago. You can think about that one for a while. I think they might have found that a little spooky that you just played one note and the piano played the rest of the song. You might have gone on trial for that, I'm just saying. Alright, so we're going to give a minute here for parents to gather children because Frankly, we just don't want them left running wild from here on, so, so we're good with that. Wow, I'm way out here on the front today, aren't I? Goodness, all right. So we're going to give that a minute, and then when it looks like we're fairly stable again, we've got a little video we want to start with today to, to talk about this theme of being together. Now, there's some, there's some print on it that's a little small, so uh, I'm going to read it to you some of the words as they come up just so you don't miss those words. Most of you will be able to see it. For those that can't, you don't have to admit it. So, all right. I think we're about ready. Because of together, they're an inspiration to people around the world. Dick and Judy wanted a normal life for their son. Together they put Rick in public school. Rick learned to write his thoughts using a special computer. When Rick was 15, he communicated to his dad that he wanted to participate in a five-mile benefit run. Dick was not a runner, but agreed to push Rick in his wheelchair. For the first time in his life, Rick didn't feel handicapped. So together, they run. Together, they compete in marathons. Together, 
they compete in triathlons. Together, they trek 3,770 miles across America. Rick couldn't compete without his dad. Dick wouldn't compete without his son. Dick is the body, Rick is the heart. Together they run. Together has power, don't run alone. We're focused on the power of together, the power of engagement. This is our spring series, it's a special series we do each year because associated with this series of sermons is our fervent hope and invitation and attempted facilitation that you will participate outside of church time in small groups going over this material studying this material together before you even come here to gain some of that power of engagement and together and today we've taken another step to try to help facilitate you be involved When you came in, you may have noted on the end of the row where you're seated, there were a number of small cards there. Did you see cards on the end of the row there anymore? Are they they there? I'm not sure where they are. Okay, you see them there. Take those cards, pass them down to the people on your row, and uh, I'm going to give you a minute to fill in any information there. We're beginning to compile our information about the groups. Now, we've had the first week of groups, but we've got six more weeks to go. It's not too late to get involved with this and participate in it. And there are even a lot of different levels you can take this whole thing to. For example, our good friends down front, Doris and Daniel, have put together a card. They have their own business card, printed a business card for their small group. It's got information on how to get in touch with them when they meet, where their house is, the whole deal. See, you can do anything you want. Be as creative as you want to get people together with you to open God's Word and study, to build community, to build relationships. So uh, I want you to take a minute and fill in that information. Now, in terms of study guides, we're putting together study guides each week, and you can get the study guides a couple of ways. You can go onto the church website, and you will find them there, or you can go to, yeah, and have another family you want to invite over, and you just can't figure out, well, with the kids, how would we do it? Bring them over, let them be involved. We've put together study guides that will work for that as well. So, 
Once you've got your cards done, the deacons have requested that we pass them to the outside of the rows, and then they will come down the rows and pick those up. So if you're done filling out your cards, pass them to the outside, and go ahead and move them on along there as you're finishing up, and they will come. I have faith that they will appear at some point and pick them up. All right, so get them to the outside. There they are. Yeah, all right. So pass those to the outside. And now we've done a little better. And maybe uh, if you haven't been able to be a part of a group or you want to do a group about you, now maybe we can help you get connected with people who are eager to be a part of this. So thank you for taking a minute to do that. Now there's another thing we're doing each week during this series, this idea of better together. We got to get to know each other a little better if we're going to be better together. So we have arranged each week to interview someone that you may have seen at church, but maybe you didn't know at all. And this week for third service, we have Patricia Brown Walker. So we're going to ask her to come up here. Now this is, I'm a little bit thrown off here because she usually sits over here. And so to sit on the front row over here is, uh, is quite a change of pace for me. Is it going all right for you over there? Okay, I know it can be disruptive to sit somewhere else in church. But uh, Patricia is the, the proud wife of Howard, who was so kind to help her there, and the aunt of four nephews, one niece, and an adorable grandnephew. At least that's what the notes say. I'm going to take your word for it. All right, very good. Employed by the Orange, Orange County Public Schools as a contract negotiator. So watch yourself if you're getting into any kind of negotiation here. Know who you're dealing with. Uh, recently joined us up here and was ordained as one of the elders of our church on a very special and exciting day. And uh, faithful, front row, always right over here. Loves entertaining guests in their home. In fact, they're inviting everyone home this afternoon. No, not... <laughs> Not this week. That's, that's another week. Sorry. Okay. Loves entertaining guests in their home and making large churches. I had to rewrite my notes because it got cut off. Large churches feel small and intimate and friendly. You know how you do that? You make a few friends. You reach out to them and you connect to them. So we're glad you're here, Patricia. Now, I have five questions for you. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. What is your favorite food? Well, I actually don't have a favorite food, but I like good food. So um, a pot of collards, well-seasoned, and sweet cornbread, wow. and wow. candied yams, and glazed carrots, or pasta with uh. lots of capers, and <laughs> cream sauce, and fettuccine, or linguine. Now you know why you want all, everybody come over to her house today. Yeah. So good food. Sounds like you have enough for all of us. So. <laughs> all right, good. Okay, if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? I have had an opportunity to do a little traveling abroad, but I really would like to see America. Hmm. I would like to take my time and Howard and I do road trip and just see America. Well, you, you guys should do like the Hoyts, and you know, he in the front. I like it, I like it. 3,700 miles across the country. <laughs> yeah, let us know how that goes. I will. All right, still tune in. So that chronicle everything right. too. Okay, what is your favorite hobby? Well, um, I really like, um, I like bicycling and I like swimming. Okay, those are good. What phrase do you use the most besides 
Howard, no. That's or it. Something like that. Yeah. That's I, the one. I ask Howard, what's my favorite phrase? I mean, what do I use all the time around the house? And he says, you always say, Howard, can you? <laughs> So I said, that's not true. So then I asked Jordan, who is our niece, what, is, what do I say all the time? And she said, Ani, you say, Jordan, will you? <laughs> so it's one of those two. <laughs> Outstanding. All right. What is one thing that makes you feel welcome? I am a toucher and a smiler. So I love smiling and I love hugging. I just think that the human touch is so healing and so embracing and so accepting and such a comfort. So I'm a hugger and um, it makes me feel welcome when I'm not the one who initiates the hug all the time, <laughs> but that I'm hugging and being smiled at or smiling too. Okay, big smile, coming in for a hug. There you go. Right. You are most welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, good job. All right. Okay. Well, that was outstanding. All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have invited us to this place today. Lord, our, our hearts have been stirred by the voices of the young people that stood before us and sang to your honor and praise and glory. I thank you for them. Now I pray, Lord, as we take a few minutes to open your word, that you will speak just as clearly through your word as you did through the song. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read today from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, and we're going to read through verse 30. We're going to talk about a couple individuals today, a couple of young men associated with Paul. So here we go. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. This is Paul writing. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. We're talking about being better together. That's our theme, better together. 
And connecting it to our year's theme of being engaged, gears are not of much value if they're spinning by themselves. It's only when they are engaged with each other that something gets done. They're better together. And specifically today, I want to focus on the idea of mentors. Mentors in the community make us better together. Now, a working definition for today for mentors, what we'll use is this. Mentors are people who invest their time, their heart, and their authority. Those three things, time, heart, and authority in someone else in order to build them up, preparing and enabling them to serve. I believe we see in this story an example of two people that Paul mentored. And I believe we will see these points in it as we look at it. I want to start with Epaphroditus. There's a special situation with him. You see, why was he even with Paul? Well, if you read a little more of the book, you'll understand, and it's implied in this part here. But Epaphroditus is visiting Paul in Rome on behalf of the church in Philippi. Well, why is he doing that? Well, it's because Paul is in prison in Rome. He's detained. And prison in those days was not a lot of fun. Not that it is now, but at least now generally you can expect to be fed and and have your basic needs. Sometimes that wasn't the case in this day. And so the church in Philippi, as well as other churches, were worried about Paul. And so they got together basic provisions that they thought Paul would need. And they put those provisions into the hands of someone they could trust who would take them from Philippi all the way over to where Paul was in Rome. Now to us, that seems like a pretty big deal, but it's an even bigger deal than we realize because on the one hand, the people living at that time were like us. They were sophisticated people. But on the other hand, the realities of life had a lot more question marks in it than sometimes ours does. Uh, For example, as someone you care about goes on a trip, you say, okay, call me tonight when you get in, right? Well, in those days, if you were traveling from Philippi to Rome, it was going to take you a while. If you went by sea, you were going to have to come down around Greece and down around Italy and back up. If you went by land, it was a tough road overland to get there. Probably he would come by sea with all of these provisions he was trying to take. So in order to get what you wanted, where you wanted it to go, you had to have a respected person that everybody would trust with the goods. You had to have an able person. You needed a strong person because traveling could be difficult. Just ask Paul, who on his trip to Rome ended up shipwrecked and spent the winter on an island. And think about it this way. Nobody even knew if Paul survived that trip until next spring because he's trapped on an island. So Epaphroditus sets out, and you're fearful that we may never see the young man again as he sets out. We're not sure exactly how long he was with Paul. He was there long enough to deliver what he came to deliver. He was also there long enough to get deathly ill. And he was there long enough for word that he was sick to make it all the way back to Philippi and word that the people were worried to make it all the way back to Rome. So I don't know how long that would have taken, but it was at least long enough for some communication back and forth. 
Paul wants to send Epaphroditus back home because he's thankful that he has survived and he wants him to get home to the people who love him. He was not a permanent companion of Paul, but he was with Paul long enough for Paul to do some mentoring in his life. Paul spent some time with him. Paul gave him his heart. And Paul grants him some authority. How does it happen? Well, verses 25 and 26 talk about, of Philippians 2, talk about how he was there and why he was there. He was there long enough that Paul had accepted him as part of the team. How do we know that? Well, it's in his language. He says, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. So Paul has embraced this young man who came bringing these gifts. He's embraced him and called him my co-worker, my fellow soldier. He's made him part of the team. Now there's an important point that comes out here. Paul is not afraid to embrace worthy other people as a full part of his work and ministry and then send them back with authority to act in that ministry. Sometimes people get nervous about this. They're afraid that to give someone else authority and opportunity is to lose standing, is to lose some of your own authority. But here's the thing, Paul wasn't worried about his authority. Paul's mind was on the greater purpose. And when our minds are on the greater purpose, when we have greater purpose thinking, it will enable us to be effective mentors. But there's another kind of thinking, and that kind of thinking is selfish thinking. Selfish thinking destroys mentoring. You see, selfish thinking always focuses on what will the outcome be for me? And therefore, selfish thinking must always be suspicious of any new, talented, able people who come around. Maybe you've met somebody like this. Maybe you've been someone like this. Anything new comes along, anyone new comes along that seems to have some ability that people seem to be interested in. If you feel threatened, sometimes the temptation is to say, well, you know, they're not so great. Oh, well, you know, they got weaknesses here to start to undermine to start to cut them down because of the threat. But this is the result of selfish thinking. Greater purpose thinking is always looking for new people to add to the team. And this is what Paul does. He adds another person to the team. Does Paul get his heart involved? He sure does. Verse 27 Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrows. Paul came to love this young man, and he was afraid he was going to die. And he is thankful that the young man lived. Paul gave his heart. What about his authority? To mentor effectively, you've got to have time, you've got to give your heart, you've got to bestow authority. Is there any of that? Well, yeah, I think there is. Listen to these words. 
Verse 25, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. Paul associates himself as a colleague with this young man. That's a bestowing of authority. Verse 29, he says to them as he sends him back, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Now he's telling them as one in authority how to treat this young man when he comes back. Treat him with honor because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give him. So here is Paul taking of his own authority and bestowing it on this young man and saying respect him, honor him. He is a co-worker of mine. This is mentoring. What was the result? Epaphroditus went back to Philippi prepared to lead and empowered to lead more than he ever had before. So that's one person mentioned in this text, but there's another as well. The text also speaks of Timothy. Now Timothy and Paul had a very special relationship. We first hear about Timothy in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, verse 1, tells the story. Paul, back a while before, had gone on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. And they had gone to the region that we today would call Turkey. And in that region, they traveled around and they went to the synagogues and they taught about Jesus and they looped back around and they went back to where they came from and they waited for a while. And then when they were going to set out again, Paul set out again and came back through that region to check on the churches that they had started. And the Bible tells us that when he came to the town of Lystra, it says there was a disciple named Timothy whose mother was a Jewish believer but whose father was a Greek. Okay, we just told a huge story right there. Unfortunately, the Bible didn't give us any details at all. First of all, his mother. She's a Jewish believer. She's Jewish. She must have encountered Paul when he visited and came to believe in Jesus. So there's already a story there. But she was married to a Greek. We don't know if he's there or not. And they had a son named Timothy. Now, in this, I want us today say a word of hope to any discouraged moms with sons who might be here today. And what I want to say is this, and I'll explain it better with the text in a second. What I want to say is this. A young man can gain a life-lasting spiritual heritage from his mother as well as from his father. Uh, let me show you. Second Timothy. You see, Paul would later write letters directly to Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. This is later. Paul is writing. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now, catch this verse. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. 
How many places in the Bible have you read where there's a, a paternal heritage described? The heritage that the Bible describes for Timothy is a maternal heritage to the second generation. The spirit in your grandmother that she passed to your mom is now in you. So moms, maybe sometimes you feel like you don't have an equal partner in the faith. Maybe you clearly don't. Maybe there isn't even a paternal presence. Don't lose hope. Because you can pass on a spiritual heritage, not just to your daughters, but to your sons as well. So take heart. Keep your faith. God is working with you. Moms, you can make a difference in the spiritual lives of your sons. But this all brings us then back to the concept of mentors. And back to the concept of the special relationship that would develop between Timothy and Paul that I think was associated with that heritage where he had had strong maternal spiritual influence but not necessarily strong paternal influence. You see, Tom, Timothy lacked a spiritual father and as far as we know, Paul lacked a son. And the Lord brought them together at the right time for the right mentoring relationship to happen. They became very close. Philippians chapter 2, verse 22, it's what we read at the beginning. Paul says, but you know, writing to the Philippians, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 this is Paul writing, again, the same language. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well. And then 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This young man who had had a powerful maternal spiritual background found in Paul a spiritual mentor and a spiritual father. It's a beautiful story of one reaching out for another. Do we see the marks of mentoring that I mentioned before in the story of Paul and Timothy? The, the time spent, the heart, and the authority? Well, we certainly see the time spent because when Paul comes to Lystra and finds Timothy, he says, I want you to join my group. And Timothy joins Paul's group and begins to travel with him and is with him off and on for the rest of Paul's life. Well, does Paul give his heart to this young man? Oh, yeah. So much so that he begins to refer to him as his son. But does Paul give him any authority? You know, it's one thing to accept a young person into your circle of adult ministries. Because there's lots of little tasks you don't want to do, and it's nice to have a servant to do your work, right? But that's not truly giving authority, is it? Paul didn't just invite Timothy to hang around and do what nobody wanted to do. Paul gave him authority. And this is the most important point, because 
Timothy is not just a servant to Paul. Timothy becomes a fellow apostle with Paul. Philippians 2, verse 19. We read these words at the start. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. To Paul, sending Timothy was essentially the same thing as going himself. Now that is bestowing authority. He goes on. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things will go with me. Paul is sending him not as a reporter, not as a messenger, but sending him with authority to go as an apostle of the church and address the needs of the people in Philippi. Not go find out, send me a letter, I'll tell you what to do. No. Go in the authority that has been given you and act for the Lord's purpose. Paul expects the people, when they see Timothy, to receive him as they would receive Paul himself. All right, what's the point of all of this? Paul recognized that what he was doing had a greater purpose than the fame of Paul. Paul was never trying to become Saint Paul, which some of us tried to turn him into. He was trying to carry the message of Jesus Christ to the world. And he wasn't worried about whether at the end of the day he was famous for it or not. He was worried about the message getting out there. And he came to understand early on, there's only so many places I can go. But if I mentor some others, they can go where I can't. And even if I'm in chains, the gospel will still go forward. See, Paul was using greater purpose thinking. We, like Paul, in our day, also have a greater purpose. God has called us to live the gospel. We're to live the gospel with each other, and we're to live the gospel in the world, and we do that best. We're better when we do it together, when we live the gospel together, when we're engaged with each other in ministry, we will be most effective at our greater purpose. It's not about one or two of us becoming heroes of the faith. It's about all of us living the gospel in the greater purpose. To accomplish the greater purpose, we must use greater purpose thinking, not selfish thinking. Greater purpose thinking is not worried about self. Greater purpose thinking is focused on God's mission for all of us. And greater purpose thinkers are always looking to find who can be added to the mission. Who can I find that can join in? Who else can become engaged in what we're doing? Because we are better together. The selfish thinker is afraid of the new person, the new plan, the new realities. 
And when we become afraid, it's very easy for the rifts to begin to develop between us. But if we would use greater purpose thinking, if we would be engaged, if we would be better together, we cannot allow generational rifts to form. We can't do it. We can't allow ethnic rifts to form. We can't allow gender rifts to form. Rather, we must all work together for the greater purpose. How do we do that? What does it look like? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. This is greater purpose thinking. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. That's the attitude that must be in our hearts if we would be better together. So, who are the mentors who will raise up the next generation of leaders in this place? Who are the greater purpose thinkers concerned more for God's mission and the success of others than they are about themselves? Paul became a mentor to Timothy and to Epaphroditus, and they carried on the greater purpose of the gospel long after Paul was gone. We must carry on this tradition in our day. So I ask you, who are you mentoring? Who are you investing time and your heart and your authority in? Working together, engaged. We will be better together. And only together will we accomplish God's purpose for our day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your call to us today. Lord, this house is filled with Paul's who have been effective and have learned and know many great things. And this house is filled with Timothy's and Epaphroditus's younger people with energy and courage and ideas who need someone to come along and encourage them. Lord, help us to be the people who are better together who engage with each other in relationships of mentoring, that your work might be accomplished and that we might be faithful until the day you return. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.